personally, I wouldn't choose to live that way forever, but I am super glad that I had the experience because after that, you know that you can survive on much less than in our society we normally ever imagine. My guest today is like a secret rock star in the tiny house world. I am sure that she has inspired many of the well-known tiny house designers and thinkers that you know of today. Sarah Suzanka published her world-changing book, I'm just going to say it, The Not-So-Big House in 1998. And I can't stress enough how inspiring this book was to me when I was designing my tiny house. And I think that this conversation will give you just a taste of the wisdom and insights that you will gain from Sarah through her book that has now become an entire franchise of not so big house, not so big life. It's just all very inspiring. And I do hope you stick around. I want to tell you about something that I think will be super helpful as you plan, design, and build your tiny house. Tiny House Decisions is the guide that I wish I had when I was building my tiny house. It comes in three different packages to help you on your unique tiny house journey. And if you're struggling to just figure out the systems for your tiny house, you know, like how you're going to heat it, how you're going to plumb it, you know, what construction technique are you going to use, like sips or stick framing or steel framing. Tiny House Decisions will take you through all these processes systematically and help you come up with a design that works for you. Right now, I'm offering 20% off any package of Tiny House Decisions. For listeners of the show, you can head over to thetinyhouse.net slash THD to learn more and use the coupon code TINY at checkout for 20% off any package. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash THD and use the coupon code TINY for 20% off. I am here with Sarah Suzanka. Sarah Suzanka's not-so-big message has become a launchpad for a new dimension of understanding, not just about how we inhabit our homes, but also about how we inhabit our planet and even our day-to-day lives. As a cultural visionary with an incredible ability to understand the underlying structure of the American lifestyle, Suzanka is providing the language and tools that are redefining how we live. Sarah Suzanka, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much, Ethan. Great to be here. Great to have you. Um, so I built my tiny house on wheels way back in 2012, which was like considered early to the tiny house movement. Um, but of course, tiny houses have existed for a very long time. And and the Not So Big House was published in 1998, many, you know, almost a f- full decade before tiny houses really became even on the blip of, of people's consciousness here. Um, yeah. How long, actually, let's just start with, you know, what is, what is the not so big house? I know you have an entire book about what it is, but <laughs> how do you explain it when somebody says, well, what's that? Yeah, actually a whole series of books yes. at this point, but, but the, um, the, I'm going to give you a little bit of history so that Please. I can explain what not so big means. So I was a residential architect working in Minneapolis and St. Paul, where I used to live. And every client that would come in would be asking for more square footage than they could afford, given the budget that they were showing me and the pictures they were showing me. And so I realized that each time I met with a client, I had to explain that actually they didn't probably need all those rooms because the real estate agent was telling them they needed them for resale that wasn't a good enough reason for building them if they wanted a house that really fit them. So I started to help people to see that if you dropped off the rooms you rarely used, like the formal living room and the formal dining room and a guest bedroom, which most people don't use but once a year, and then use the dollars for the house that you actually live in, you're going to end up with a better house. So this kind of house, a not so big house, is about a third smaller than you thought you needed, but you are able to live in every square foot every day. And so paradoxically, it's not about size. So it fits the tiny house movement and it fits people who are building houses bigger than you or I would ever imagine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
but there's still a way of thinking about it where it's going to fit you so that you live in every square foot every day. So for some people that could be 2,500 square feet and for some people that could be 800 square feet. You've got it, exactly. And it's really about quality rather than quantity. So it's really looking at what makes a house into home. And that works whether we're talking about little teeny houses or apartments or, you know, a house that could be acres and acres of space. But if we just reapportion it, we can make it feel much more comfortable and livable. Absolutely. Yeah. In 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 Not So Big House, you you talk about how our informal lifestyle has has kind of put us out of sync with houses that were designed for a different time um absolutely we've added rooms on yeah we've added rooms so the formal living room and the formal dining room stayed but then we added a family room and then everybody lived in the family room or the great room and these little appendages of old atrophying functions still were there Mm -hmm. and so you know when I was doing a lot of remodeling, I'd walk into somebody's house and there's the furniture that nobody would ever sit in because it's uncomfortable in the formal living room. And as soon as people decided that I was a friendly human being, they said, well, let's go and sit in the kitchen where it's more comfortable. <laughs> you know, it's like it's it, we're designing these rooms for people that we would really rather not have in our houses. And we we are living in the other part. So it doesn't make sense to build the space we don't use, for, but very rarely. Absolutely. And that's that's definitely something that has been taken up by the tiny house movement um, mm-hmm. to a bit of an extreme, I would say, or or to just, <laughs> you know, further shrinking things down to the constraints of fitting on top of a trailer. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I don't know if um, you are interested in this, but I actually was was learned a lot from living in my own tiny house when I was in college. Very much so. It was actually on the back of a flatbed truck and it was, it was beautiful. Back in the seventies, we called them wood butchers trailers. Okay. And I lived in one. Cool. And it was, uh, you know, it was completely (laughs) self-sufficient. You know, I didn't have, there was not a square or cubic inch of space that was wasted. How about how big was it? It was 96 square feet. Okay. Yeah. And it had a, a, you know, the closet on the main level and then a bed loft above it and uh, a wood stove and uh, a little sink. And we hung the Christmas tree off of the gable in the center, <laughs> upside down. <laughs> how, how long, how long did you live there? I was only for probably about uh, 18 months. Okay. But it taught me so much. It was just such an exercise in learning what one doesn't need. Yeah, really. And how beautifully one can live in a very, very compact space. What what's one or two of the things that you maybe learned that you didn't need through that experience? Oh, my goodness. It was it was um, it was so much. It was really um, it was like a, a tide change for me in my mindset when I lived there, because I I discovered that the outdoor space we were we were in a fairly wooded area so mm-hmm. the outdoor space became like an extension of the home even though i was living in oregon at the time so it was not warm all year round but it but that beauty of the long distance views became really quite important and then the the coziness of that little space was um was i wouldn't trade that experience for anything you know just it's like a little nest and I love that. Yeah, that's that's a great way of describing it. And it's it can be really difficult for for people to envision living in 96 or 150 <laughs> square feet right. when, you know, they do some simple math in their head and they're like, oh, wow, 96 square feet. That's that's nine feet by 10 feet. That's like the size of a very small bedroom or a, or a, right. or a, aver- a large walk-in closet. That's right. Exactly. And it's, it's, uh, we had, everything did double duty. So the, the closet door had a fold down table mm-hmm. and the, the chairs on either side could fold so that we could have more floor space if we needed it. We actually never did that. Right. You know, it, right. It was- yeah. It's, it is really 
really interesting when you boil down the house to the spaces that you really, really need, which is somewhere to sleep, somewhere to prepare food and somewhere to hang out. That's right. Exactly. And and maybe go maybe go to the bathroom in the house. Although you can yeah, do we that had outside the, too. We had the bathroom right. outside. Yeah, so that exactly. Was <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's a, it's a. Personally, I wouldn't choose to live that way forever. But I am super glad that I had the experience because after that, you know that you can survive on much less yeah. than in our society we normally ever imagine. Yeah, and that's that's an. A great segue because, you know, I don't live full time in my tiny house anymore either, um, though I do still own it. And it's more of a, a place that my wife and I go to be more in nature and just enjoy being together in, in a really cozy space that that I built. So it's just it's so different than where we live most of the time um, because it, everything is so personal. And it seems yeah. like the the not so big house is maybe almost like you could grow out of a tiny house because, you know, for, for us, we live in Vermont. We love to recreate here. There are different types of bicycles, different kinds of skis. You know, I've gotten really into kiteboarding, which is a wonderful wind sport on the lake. And it's just like all of these activities come with things to own and things to store, but you know, that's, it's what is important to us. And it's what, why we live here. What's, you know, why else do you want to suffer through the eight month winter than, <laughs> than to go play in the snow? So it's just like, I could see a not so big house for us really incorporating a lot of store, like places where That's our right. gear lives. Creative storage yes. is what I call it in the not so big house. Yeah. It's like, you know, you, a place for everything and everything in its place, much like a boat, you know, that's beautifully designed. You've got to think about space differently when it's in short supply. Yeah. And a not so big house is really designed with that. Not that you're trying to make space in short supply, but you're trying to utilize every part of the house really effectively. Mm-hmm. How, in what ways have you seen, and I know that you also practice what you what you preach for lack of a better word you live in the not so big house my husband reminds me this all the time (laughs) how have you seen not so big living improve quality of life oh it's it's i wish i could transport people to conversations i have with my clients after i've finished a house for them and you know when something's designed just for you you may have had this experience even in just Mm -hmm. making your tiny house but when something's designed and crafted around your particular life and lifestyle, mm. there's something that's not wordable, but you can feel it. And sometimes when you go into someone's house, when it's just right, it's tailored to them. Yeah. There's an ineffable something that is, is there. And I've had so many of my clients tell me that when they move in, it fits them just so. And, you know, they don't ever want to, ever want to leave. Right. I actually did a house a few years ago when you did your tiny house, actually, for a couple who uh, we designed it just, just right for them. They, they used to travel all over the place. They said, we, we don't do it anymore. We'd love it here. We don't want to go. Anywhere yeah. Else. Yeah. No reason it's to that leave. That kind of, it just fits. Nice. Yeah. What, I uh, just out of curiosity, if you know off the top of your head, what's the, smallest not so big house you've designed and and also what's the largest like what's the what's the range (laughs) it's a big range because I've worked with people you know architects are and I suspect this may surprise your listeners architects serve all kinds of different needs and people and so I've done probably the smallest I've done is about 600 square feet yeah apart from my own little uh tiny tiny house yeah but the 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 larger ones i've done a seven thousand square foot house wow you know and i i some for some architects they would say oh my god i would never do that but there's this process of thinking about space differently is appropriate for everyone and i prefer not to get into the state of trying to judge somebody for should they or shouldn't they right i know how to make a space really feel 
like home. And that's what I want to be able to, you know, participate in and share. I love that. And I, I also will will echo what you what you said about architects and design, which is that it's you know when you walk into a space, it, it someone might say, Oh, I don't need I don't need a professional designer, I don't need an architect, or I don't need somebody to, who's good with design to help me. But they, I'm sure when you walk into a space that wasn't well designed, that's I feel like when you can really yeah. you can feel that sooner and quicker and more sharply than when a space is designed. That's right. And and a lot of people don't realize that the pictures they love, whether it's in uh, magazines or online mm-hmm. or my favorite source these days, house.com, you know, you, 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 they don't realize that those things that they're responding to are actually designed most frequently by architects. It's, we, we don't have a label that says this was designed by an architect, but our eyes know yeah. it's, it's got something. Yeah. And I think that there is a, um, there's maybe a misconception that, you know, working with an architect is only for rich people. Yes. Actually, that's what I wrote my books for, because I was realizing I used to do a, in my early days, I had a booth at the Home and Garden Show in Minneapolis. Okay. And people would come up and they'd look at our pictures and they'd go, oh, wow, these are so beautiful. I wish I could afford an architect. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, well, you know, what's your budget? And, the, you know, they would tell me a budget that was higher than all the pictures on the wall. Wow. And I'd say, you can. This is what we do. Right. Right. But that's what I realized is that most people had no idea that it was seen as something for some elite, super wealthy part of the population. Yeah. And I knew we could help everybody. So we really started a movement at my old firm to help people grasp mm-hmm. that everyone can work with an architect. And so nowadays, there's a lot more residential architects available and visible. Yeah. That wasn't true in the 90s. Yeah. And, and also, you know, we, we ended up working with the same designer a second time when we remodeled the kitchen in this fairly tiny condo we live in. And it just, we didn't have a big budget. And what we were able to do was instead of having them do all of the work, we had them over, basically got some design ideas. And then mm-hmm. I did the I did the layout in IKEA in the, using IKEA oh, yes. tool yeah, right. and you know bounce mm-hmm. ideas off of them back and forth and you know when when the architect when the, the design firm wasn't drawing all the the plans and doing that work it saved us some money but we still had the outcome of a kitchen that just feels incredible to be in and just so many ideas that we never would have considered um like right. just turning the whole thing 90 degrees so that the the view the person who's cooking the food can see the view view. right yes some simple stuff yeah Yeah. and i'll tell you a secret that that there's a layer of what architects do Mm -hmm. which often doesn't get discovered because people don't go far enough in the process with the architect yeah you can have an architect at least not every architect will do this, but some who do uh, what I would do call kitchen table consults <laughs> come and just give some suggestions. Once you've got your plan sorted out, they can add a little bit, especially related to the third dimension, the heights of things, yep. because that shapes the space in a way that most people are completely unaware. That's what a lot of my books are really about, is how to make the most of the heights of things. And I'm not talking about tall, taller, and tallest. I'm talking about making things that make some spaces feel cozy so that the taller spaces have some contrast from one to the other. And that makes an enormous difference, and most people are completely unaware of it. Yeah, spaces with really high ceilings aren't as comfortable. You know, it's... Mm -mm. No, it's like sitting in an elevator, right. you know, it's like, yeah, sure. No, I don't think I want to do that. Right, right. <laughs> so Not So Big House was published in 1998. And mm-hmm. I'm curious, what what have been your impressions of, of the tiny house movement, you know, early on and now, you know, as it's continued and, and become 
bigger, for lack of a better word. Yes, right, right. Well, it's been an interesting process, and and I'm sure in the tiny house house movement, people are very much aware of this. But the, depending upon what's happening culturally, um, for example, in 2008, and the market is terribly depressed. Suddenly, everyone was interviewing me about tiny houses. <laughs> I had one article that even told said that I was the mother of the tiny house movement, which I'm absolutely not. <laughs> It's, you know, it's that they, that became the thing I got quoted about because it was the latest, very small version of a not so big house. Right. But the, but the, the thing that's happened is that I think people, it went from being sort of like a fascinating oddity to now one alternative in the options available for people who are thinking about what kind of house do we want? And I think it's a very valuable addition because most of the house forms that we've had in in this society for at least the last 50 years have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and there really need to be some smaller options yeah because not everybody wants three bedrooms up you know of course ironically tiny houses have also gotten bigger and bigger and bigger yes <laughs> well we have that penchant in this we society do. we really do i mean and and, you know, I I picked up a copy of, of Not So Big House way back when I was working on the design for mine and, you know, mm-hmm. hadn't read it in, you know, after that process, it, it, it sat on the shelf and I kind of revisited it, you know, for in preparing for the interview. And I was kind of thinking to myself, huh, I wonder if the ways that that we've been building tiny houses bigger is actually contributing to the quality of the space or is it just, <laughs> yeah, is it just adding things that we th- think that we want, you know? So for example, tiny houses, when I built mine, it was rare that you would put like a full size, a kitchen with full size appliances in it. And, and don't get me wrong. Right. Very nice to cook on full size appliances, but, a lot of tiny house dwellers don't necessarily do a lot of cooking in their houses anyway. Yeah. And then right. you're just eating up, you know, yeah, that's 30, true. 40, it's 50 a, square feet with a bigger kitchen. You know, this mentality yeah. that you're describing and the, and the, what I call project creep, okay. you know, it's where things get bigger because we think, well, maybe someday I'm going to need this. An awful lot of our decision-making is based on an idea about a projected circumstance where we might need that. Mm. But that one time out of a five-year period, is that really sensible? I'll give you my classic example. I had one client who decided that she needed two powder rooms on the main level. And I was asking her, well, why two? She said, well, my kids, you know, when they come in from the yards, they're messy and they'll mess up the powder room. And if I have a guest over, then it's going to be all a wreck. <laughs> and I, so I asked her, so how many times do you have guests over? He's like, well, at least three or four times a year. <laughs> just trying to help her see. So what are the chances that your children are going to have just used the powder room and the guest is there? And is that worth six to $10,000? Right. To add that bathroom. <laughs> it's, it's, it's that kind of, we project a world and then we think we have to design for it. And I try to help people do the opposite and look at what do I really need? Right. And it's, and when I'm talking to tiny house people, I know there are people in your audience who this is already their penchant for thinking about what they don't need. Yeah. So it, it makes, make it make sense for you. It's got to be comfortable. It's got to enhance your life, but to if it's overboard, then see if you can pull back a little bit. Yeah. Well, there are there are absolutely a lot of people in my audience who are are kicking the tires or they're kind of they're fascinated by the tiny house movement. Yep. And they might they're they're somewhere on the stay the scale of I think that's really cool, but I could never do it or I would really love to do that once, you know, once right. my kids are out of the house or once I retire, um, you know, all the way up yeah. to, okay, I'm doing this. This is happening. Right, right, right. And trying it is an immensely valuable experience, even if you just do it for a year. Yes. 
Yeah, I think you really can learn a lot from Mm -hmm. living in a small space or living small in a different way. That's right. That's right. And the same is true with people who've lived in larger houses, just moving to 2,400 square feet, for example. Right. Right. It's also, it's the contrast that makes you learn about your life in a different way than you could any other way. Yeah. And it's all, it's all relative as you've made the point is if, you know, going right. from 5,000 square feet to 2,500 might feel tiny. Yeah. It's, it does to those people that have a lot of stuff because they've got to deal with the amount of stuff they have and then reduce that quantity. Yeah. I'd like to tell you a little bit more about tiny house decisions, my signature guide and the resource that I wish I had when I was building my tiny house. It starts with the big decisions, which is, you know, should you build a tiny house yourself or with help? Um, Is a a pre-built shell a good idea? Um, Is a house on wheels better than on the ground and what works better for you? Um, Deciding on the overall size, deciding on whether you should use custom plans or pre-made plans, different types of trailers and more. Uh, Then in in part two, we get into the system. So heat, Water, showers, hot water, toilets, electrical, refrigeration, ventilation. And we're only two thirds of the way through the book at this point. From systems, we go into construction decisions, talking about nails versus screws, sips versus stick framed versus advanced framing versus metal framing. Uh, We talk about how to construct a subfloor, sheathing, roofing materials, insulation, windows, flooring, kitchen. I know I'm just reading off. The table of contents, but I just want to give you a sense of how comprehensive Tiny House Decisions is. Uh, It's a total of 170 pages. It contains tons of full color drawings, diagrams, and resources. And it really is the guide that I wish I had when I was building my tiny house. Right now, I'm offering 20% off any package of Tiny House Decisions using the coupon code TINY when you head over to thetinyhouse.net slash THD. That's THD for Tiny House Decisions. Again, that's coupon code TINY when you check out at thetinyhouse.net slash THD. So in the house that I grew up in, um, which was an old carriage house that was converted into a, a residence, was really it was a really cool house. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, sometime around when I was maybe 12 or 13, we took the kitchen table out of the kitchen and replaced it with a couch because right. dinner was always eaten at the counter anyway. Yeah. And it just made hanging out in the kitchen so much easier, which is what we all did anyway. Right. And you, That's very you dedicate a lot, you dedicate a, a good amount of space in the book to talking about, you know, kitchens. Yes. And I'm curious why do people, why is it that everybody <laughs> likes to hang out in the kitchen? Cause the same thing happens basically everywhere. Everybody just That's goes right. to the kitchen and hangs out yeah. there. Yeah. But it used not to be this way. That's the interesting part. It, because there's, if you look at back at the history of basically domestic design, yeah, it used to be that a kitchen was a really messy, smelly place. Mm. And almost thought of in the same way that one might think of a bathroom. This seems impossible right. to us to okay. consider today, but that was the mentality. A lot of the summer kitchens were actually outside because of that fact. So now with the, when, when the cooktop hoods were, were developed and suddenly we were able to extract the smelly stuff, then it became part of a living environment. Mm-hmm. I grew up in England where at the time that I left, in the 1970s, which dates me, um, <laughs> there was there was not a lot of open kitchen plan. And then I moved to California, where everywhere was open. So that was a real discovery for me that you could have an open plan and a kitchen that was open to living space. And then I started to notice how valuable that was because people could have multiple activities happening in the same place mom or dad or whoever's cooking is not excluded from the the family gathering and i think the reason the kitchen became such a focus is because we're social creatures and we spend a lot of time cooking and preparing food and so that became the natural hub for a lot of that family activity 
And there's another thing that happens in parties, incidentally, which is that when we're standing up, we want to lean on something. And okay. counters are perfect leaning places. Ah, it gives you a place <laughs> to put your elbow. Yeah. That's why when you've got a small house and everybody is packed into the kitchen, it's because they've got a place to lean. place to put their drink, a place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And it feels sort of cozy. Yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. kind of naturally forced together and that feels good. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I was curious, you know, I, f- I feel like, you know, re- just acknowledging that your kitchen is a social hub and saying, we don't eat at this table anyway, let's put a couch in it, is almost like, I wrote down, not so big house hacks. Like, how can you, without <laughs> right. having to renovate or or build yeah. a new home, do you have any That's other right. other examples of things that, that people well, do to kind of retrofit their existing spaces? Yeah, the, there's... There's a lot of little things and they're, some of them are really obvious, but mm-hmm. most people don't think about them. Okay. So I'm going to just say a couple of them. Please. When we have a, an, a room that's called dining room, mm-hmm. we assume you're supposed to dine in it. But most people in this country no longer use their dining rooms for dining. So back when I wrote The Not So Big Life, we used to get gobs and gobs of, of mail through U.S. mail because we weren't getting email at the time. And so our tables became the repositories of all of that mail. Nowadays, it's just the piles of stuff that that uh, are accumulated over the course of, of our everyday living. Mm-hmm. But it's still not really a dining room. So just taking the word dining off it and say extra room, extra room. <laughs> can be really helpful. Yeah. And then you can start thinking about it differently. Same thing with a a formal living room. If you've got a family room, then that living room can become an art studio or an in-home office or a playroom for the kids or music space. You know, it takes your the lid off your imagination that allows you to start thinking about it differently. Music room. That's that's for me. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I love those suggestions. Yeah. And there's one other okay. it related to the spare room, you know, uh, an extra bedroom. Yeah. That room, if you've got one, and I realize with tiny houses, this probably isn't an issue, but you probably have some listeners for whom this yeah. is. Yeah, oh, I'm sure. That room sits either empty or full of boxes mm. because it's a place where you can store the things you don't have room for. If you make that room do double duty as an in-home office, it's it's then used all the time rather than very occasionally. Yeah. So there's a bunch of things like that. It could be an extra, it could be a TV room. I call this an away room, a yeah. place that you can go and be away from the rest of the family if you want to for a quiet phone call or to watch TV or listen to music or, you know, something where you're out of the way. Yeah. And, and I love that concept of the away room. And I've seen... I've seen it done in in tiny houses, either with kind of a second loft that's at the other end of the right. of the tiny house that just has like beanbag chairs or just comfortable seating yeah. and and a place to read a book or or play the guitar. Right, right. And when you have a small space, it doesn't make it less desirable. You know that you have you you almost need it more. That I call it a place of your own, a place to. Go and be by yourself sometimes. Right. And that's hard the smaller the house. Yes. So absolutely. Fabulous. And yeah. then I've I but I've always thought, you know, okay, if I was gonna make a go of of living in my tiny house full time with with my wife, um, who doesn't work from home, yeah, I would still I think I would probably build a shed and create an office, you know, essentially an even tinier, smaller space that is just a place that I can go to work. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. In fact, I know several people who have tiny houses that are serving that function. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. it, it no, can be right. Right nice to separate your work, if you do work from home, to to have that, be able to be isolated from the rest of your house because for me i you know it's too tempting to check email again in the evening or or to just hop onto the computer 
an awful lot of this is psychological. (laughs) But if we don't know that we're going to work, then our home life and our work life meld to such a degree that we don't, there's no distinction. And then if you're a workaholic, for example, you never are off work. Mm. And I think a lot of people today have that struggle just because we've got devices that are on 24 seven and our emails being delivered 24 seven. And so yep. we, we don't have a way of creating boundaries. So we, we have to kind of do that with our physical space so that it's clear. Yeah. Well, there are some other um, not so big principles that, that you talk about in the book and I was hoping we could kind of cover mm-hmm. a few of them. Sure. We've talked about the away room, which was great because that was the first one I wrote down. Um, right. The other one, and maybe similar, related is is Poyo, place of your own. Yeah, right. That's right. Yeah, it's so it's actually worth mentioning the distinction. Okay. In a in a tiny house, they probably would be the same space, but in a slightly larger house, the away room is the spot where you can go and ha- do something. Like the one, the example I often have is, you know, if kids are playing some sort of noisy game, they can go to the away room. You can close the doors. They're still close enough that you can monitor what's going on, but they are not interrupting everything else. So, in a, so that's one function of the away room. Another one is you can go to watch television while other stuff is happening in another room. So you might have two TVs. You might have one in the in the living or family room one in the away room Mm -hmm. but it gives you the option of being one place or the other without both having to be doing the same thing it's basically a spot with acoustical privacy got it that's what it's really doing but it's not taking you so far away that you feel isolated yes that's the away room the place of your own p-o-y-o that's poyo is is really a spot to go and be by yourself. There are a lot of introverts in this world, and this was really where this idea came from, I being one of them, (laughs) that once you're married, suddenly everything is joint property and there's no place to just go. You know, a lot of guys still go to their garages. Uh The old sewing room really doesn't happen anymore in the world of... uh, the, the female world mm-hmm. and so we need something our our roles have sort of melded together but we still have this human need for some privacy yeah and so it can be very small it doesn't need to be a big space at all but just a place where you can go paint go meditate go read journal listen to music whatever your particular love is but that is an enormous benefit. It's almost as valuable as for people that are nature lovers going for a walk because it gives you that sense of recharge, regeneration. Yeah. And, and both of these things, it just makes so much more sense when you're, if you're designing a house from scratch rather than saying, okay, where's the dining room? Where's the living room? Yes. Doesn't it just like, these are so much more useful. That's right. One way you can design actually is to to drop every room name Mm. and instead make a list of activities and then design your house based on the places for activities. And that will shift so much. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Another principle, um, and you've already, you touched on this a little bit talking about that third dimension, but is, is ceiling height variety. Yes. Yeah. This is really important. It's that, you know, when we look at a floor plan, we assume we're going to know what that house is going to feel like. But in fact, the information that tells you how it's going to feel isn't on the floor plan. The floor plan is like a map of a city. It shows you how to get your feet from place to place, and it shows you whether your couch will fit, but it tells you nothing about the heights of things. And if you just walk through some of your favorite buildings, it can be a house, it can be a library, look at pictures online, you'll see that there's another dimension that's really affecting your experience of the space. And that has to do with heights. So, for example, when you have a, a kitchen table, 
if you've got a lowered ceiling over that kitchen table, it's going, I call this shelter around activity. Uh -huh. It's literally, it's a shelter from which you can look out at the rest of the world. So it's, it's, it's that word that I used earlier. You feel in a cozy sort of nest like space, but not constricted because your view is to an adjacent larger space. And it's the it's the contrast between the ceiling heights that allows that to really work. Right in a tiny house, this can be even more important because you can make less square footage feel like much more by changing ceiling height. And this is completely paradoxical. We would think, my goodness, if you're taking cubic footage out by dropping a ceiling, isn't it going to feel smaller? It doesn't. It feels the opposite because you're then reading multiple rooms essentially because the ceiling height changes yep so it's very clever absolutely and that's that's something that i love in my tiny house that even though there's a sleeping loft at one end mm -hmm. when you walk in the front door you are underneath a very shallow loft that has yeah. some books and a plant and other like a blanket up there but it gives you the sense of opening, you know, first from this smaller space into the, the great right. room. Exactly. That's right. You know, we, we're very fortunate in this country and we have a lot of um, Frank Lloyd Wright buildings that are open to the public. Mm -hmm. And he loved playing with ceiling height. So if you want to ever have a just test test drive a house with a lot of ceiling height variety, go visit one and you'll see what I mean. Cool. So another one that that I think could be related to these different spaces and also probably useful in a tiny house uh, is mm -hmm. the concept of of implied walls. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. So let's just talk about what that means first, yeah. and then I'll give you examples. Please. So when when you're in a small space and you want to still have a little bit of privacy, it can be visual privacy or acoustical privacy, we normally think of a solid wall. But a solid wall then makes everything feel a lot smaller because you've suddenly divided the space into two or three pieces. So when, when a space is already small, if you create an implied wall, that can be with a lattice where you can see through it, it can be with bookshelves that are open on both sides. It can even be a Venetian blind that you bring down from the ceiling and you can open it or close it. We think of them as for windows, but mm -hmm. you can make a beautiful room divider just using a, a, a Venetian blind. That is an implied wall. It's telling your eye there's something here that divides this from that, but it's permeable. So that you have the choice of it in the in the Venetian blind example, it's all the way up and it's not there at all, or it's down but it's open, then you can see through, mm -hmm. or it's closed, and then you have visual separation. Obviously not acoustical in that case, but it's uh, it's a way of giving a sense of more space because you've got multiple functions with their own definition. Nice. Well, I, there are so many principles. I'd love, I don't, I don't think we have time to go through them all, but there, there's one that is a staple of the tiny house world, which is, is double duty. Yes, absolutely. We have to do double duty Yes. with any time you've got a smaller area. If you can make one thing, do two things you, or three things, it's going to be a more useful space. And so just like I was talking about a little bit ago with the in-home office come uh, guest bedroom. Mm -hmm. There are millions of ways we can do this. And there's some incredible inventions of furniture that uh, transforms into uh, from coffee table to, you know, the end of a bed that folds down and yep. the, the bed folds on top of it, etc. Just wonderful stuff. Yeah, there is a lot of really cool transforming oh. furniture. And there was, there was a time kind of early, early in the tiny house movement where it seemed like Everyone, it was like not a tiny house unless you had, it was called the Ikea Norbo <laughs> table. It was just a very oh, yes. simple birch drop leaf yeah. that you right. mounted to the wall and it's just, it can be up or down. That's right. Yes, that's right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and I, yeah. I was planning to build one myself and then I like, it was obviously at the end of the project and yeah. the Ikea one 
is like so inexpensive and works exactly the way that it needs to. And I was like, um, I'm just going to buy this. Yeah, exactly. Why do all this work? Yeah. (laughs) That's right. And, you know, I think one of the things about small spaces is that it really encourages invention. And, you know, you've seen some of these amazing little apartments in Mm -hmm. places like Hong Kong where they're just, yes, they've used everything so cleverly. It's a cabinet maker's dream or nightmare. Absolutely. You got it. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, one more that I think that speaks to maybe why tiny spaces feel good, which is the the sense of shelter. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That that we, you know, one of the things that's really at the root of all of my books and these design principles that we're talking about right now is that our human bodies were developed in caveman days where we needed to feel a sense of safety and security Mm -hmm. in our environments. And so we tend to pick things that make us feel secure. Yeah. And a smaller space, although in our present day world, a lot of people would say, well, I don't want to be confined. When you actually try it, when you actually live in that cozier, smaller space, there's something incredibly satisfying to that part of us that's that knows that it's not always a friendly world. And so that that is what I think the tiny house movement has really touched into. And uh, for those of us that have tried it, we know that it works. That yeah. you feel really, really good and protected. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'm I'm always struck by how much kids love my tiny house. Mm-hmm. like absolutely particularly <laughs> yeah. the loft because it's like they get to climb up a ladder and then be in this room that is like yeah. n- that they can't even stand up in but it's just this like that's right little den. absolutely i often say you know if you want to find out what's the most interesting space in your house release a five-year-old <laughs> for five minutes they will be in it <laughs> i like that release the (laughs) five-year-olds yeah i mean children have an innate understanding of what it is that really we're talking about here yeah it's just we 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 still have that programming yeah we just as adults i forget we're like a little disconnected from it yeah (laughs) Um, well you as you've mentioned not so big has has become a concept that has gone beyond just houses. Right. And another one of your books is, is not so big life. That's right. Which that's right. Is ironically, many people who are thinking about living in a tiny house, probably that one should really come first before the not so big house. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it takes things to a whole different level. I wrote the not so big life after Uh, let's see what it would have been nine years after the not so big house first came out. But what I say in the not so big life is I couldn't have started writing these books if it hadn't been for starting to pay attention to my own patterns of living. And so the not so big life is really a way of looking at how to remodel your life to make room for what really matters, where the house design books were all about how to make room for what really matters. Right. But it's a completely different view, except we're looking at the process of that we do with construction or with remodeling, but look at how do we do this with our own lives. And it's there's a lot there. And I have a feeling that a lot of people who are attracted to the tiny house would probably find the not so big life really valuable. Yeah, certainly. And because that is a big challenge for for everyone even if they're completely sold on living in 200 square feet that it is <laughs> you know it is difficult to get rid of your stuff and to let go of certain yeah things that you own that in your mind you say i need this in case i'm going to do that I have to have it that's right right but one of the things that i talk about in the not so big life at least in i point towards this is that this is all in a in a way a game we can do we can play we can try something you yeah. know that's what i was saying you know try a try a tiny house for a year 
allow yourself to play because you learn things that you couldn't possibly know until you try it. And so really a lot about a lot of the not so big life is having you let go of the things that you believe to be true or say absolutely I have to have and just try try playing and you will find that things are much much more flexible than you've ever conceived. Yeah. It's it's beautiful. It's kind of like getting curious in, in not so big house, you talk about getting curious about spaces and, and carrying a tape measure even and measuring them. Yes. Right. And then it's almost like doing the same thing, but just in your own life. Your own life. That's right. It's exactly what it is. And it's, it'll, you know, that book, if you really engage it, it'll take you on quite a journey. Cool. Cool. Are you, um, are there any new, not so big books in the works right now? <laughs> You know, I, I haven't been writing any recently, but uh, I do a lot of workshops these days on the Not So Big Life material. Nice. And so that's where my, my a lot of my writing happens in blogs and things like that these days. Great, great. There will be more, but I don't know if they'll have Not So Big in the title. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing that I like to ask all my guests is, um, are there any books or other resources that that have inspired you lately that that you'd like to share with with the listeners oh boy let's think um i'll tell you this isn't so much recently but for people who are interested in uh tiny houses i would encourage you to take a look at a not very well-known author but his name is asby brown okay He's lived in Japan for, he's American, but he's lived in, in Japan for a lot of his life. And he has a couple of books on small spaces. And they are spectacular in helping you to think through how to use less space and make it feel like more. Mm. So he's really been, he's learned so much from the Japanese and their use of space in very clever ways and doing double duty. Yeah. And they're beautiful books. And for those that are really hardcore about, you know, just the sustainability of the whole picture, he's also got a book called Just Enough, mm. which is actually about a, a period in Japanese history where they had to make do with almost nothing. And the abundance that came out of that process is what it, the book imparts. It's one of my favorite books of all time. Wow. That's a, yeah. that's a strong recommendation. I will check yeah. that out. Yeah. Yeah, and most people don't know they exist. I, I'm the only person I've ever heard talk about them. <laughs> All right, well, now a few more people hopefully will yeah, learn about them. Wonderful. <laughs> well, Sarah Susanka, thank you so much for, for taking the time to be on the show. Absolutely. And, and if uh, your guests are interested for our finding architects, we have a home professionals directory on my website, susanka.com. Okay. And lots and lots of resources that will help people to uh, make their own houses not so big or even tiny. Wonderful. <laughs> okay. Thank you. That's, that's great to know. And um, after, after this interview ends, people will hear me say where they can go and I will post links to your website, your books, um, anything else that you send me will be on the show notes page for people to, to kind of get all in one place. Fantastic. That's wonderful. Great. Well, thank you very much. Thank you so much to Sarah Suzanka for being a guest on the show today. You can find the show notes from today's episode, including a complete transcript and links to all of Sarah Suzanka's wonderful books at thetinyhouse.net slash 185. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 185. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.